Hey, folks. So things have been pretty hectic for me, but a little more hectic for Kyle, not to mention normally he has a lot more work to do to make this show happen. So we're going to take a month off from our regular scheduled content, and uh, we're going to let Kyle take a break. And that means it's a perfect excuse for me to talk about video games for a couple minutes again. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to talk about all the games that I've been playing since I made that top 10 list a year and a half ago or whatever. And these reviews are in no particular order, just kind of whatever I order I thought of them in. So without further ado, let's go ahead and kick things off, starting with... Guacamelee 1 and 2. So Guacamelee was a surprisingly delightful Metroidvania that I played. You get to explore a... I don't think it's racist, it's... Never jo are jokes made about Mexican culture per se, it's just a very... It's Mexico as made by someone who has clearly never been to Mexico. And uh, that's kind of your ear in on the joke with it. So I think it passes the cultural sniff test, at least barely, maybe like a D plus. Um, let's give it a C minus, because Ds don't get degrees in some places. Anyway, the game runs more or less like any Metroidvania. You get more powers, you unlock more areas, you can get more powers in those areas, and eventually you can explore the whole map. And uh, the fighting system is surprisingly uh, intuitive and well-designed, creating for a unique variety of combat encounters, monster types, and just generally very good little melee-oriented side-scroller combat. The really impressive part of the game is actually the exploration. As you get more powers, rather than the game getting easier, you have to use every last little guaca punch-and-kick thing that you've unlocked for some of these combo sections just to get through from one side of a room to another. And it really creates a very fun platforming uh, environment. The colorful graphics help the game stand out. It's very cartoony, which uh, some people might not dig, but I thought was fun. The big downsides of the game would be the storytelling, which is nothing special, and the general design of the map, where it shows you exactly where you can unlock a new spot with your new powers, which is great for people who want to make sure they don't miss anything, but it does diminish the exploration a little bit when it tells you exactly where you can explore now. Go over here now if you want to, and it's like, all right, well, now I don't need to remember anything to turn my brain off and play, which I guess that has its perks to some people, so use to take that as a plus if it works that way to you. Overall, the game is very fun, and then Guacamelee 2 is just a, a lot a lot more of that game. It, it just, just literally like, hey, we made some more Guacamelee 1, and it's about twice as long, and I'm like, all right, well, I'll play it. Lots of memes in that one, and uh, still, still a good game. The combat still works, you know. Everything that worked about one works about two, but if you play play one first and then see how you feel. Overall, these were both very fun games, so I'm going to give them a 8.1 out of 10 aggregate. And I guess I'm getting that weirdly specific now. I've committed myself to the bit, so 8.1 out of 10. On to the next game. When I found out Insomniac Spider-Man was coming to the PC, I was delighted. As someone who loved the Arkham games and loved my superheroes in general, because, let me, nah, less so anymore, I'd say. Sadly, my superhero love has become tainted. But anyways, I still, still love me a good Spider-Man. And I was very much looking forward to everything these games could bring, because they're basically described as, you know, Arkham-esque, but with Spider-Man. And I'm like, yes, more of that. And I got exactly what I was hoping for. I would say the combat didn't wow me quite as much as the Arkham combat, but the game more than made up for it in spades with the traversal, web swinging through town. Oh, absolute delight. And the game kicks off really strong too. It doesn't just slow play you for the first, you know, however long. The tutorial is nice and action-packed. 
and uh, really makes the blood start pumping right off the bat. I would say I enjoyed the game quite a bit for a first playthrough, but I, I grew weary with it eventually. The sheer amount of shit there is to do in the city and all of it feeling kind of samey doesn't ultimately help the game uh, by the time you start getting to the end game. And the plot has a, a couple weak moments, although it's still, still very good. Not as strong as I'd say most of the Batman Arkham for plots, but better than the Arkham Knight plot, so credit there. And I promise that's the last time I reference the Arkham games in this review. Probably. But yeah, going back to the combat, I'd say the reason that I found it underwhelming was that once you figure it out, once you learn all the ins and outs of it, it's kinda easy. Like, even on the highest difficulty, I was like, oh, okay, I could just get my health back in no time. I was never struggling with any of the fights. And even, I mean, perhaps if you aren't high muscle coordinated, you don't have those re reflexes for any number of reasons, then I could see the combat being more well-adjusted, but I just didn't feel like there was that much variety in any given fight. And this really stood out in the boss fights, which were honestly kind of underwhelming. None of the bosses were memorable. They were all just generally dodge for a bit and then do the thing you normally do, or do the thing you normally do, but in midair, you know. Still, I wouldn't say that's an, a huge complaint. It's just me drawing to get the nitpicks to the surface because that's kind of what I do about everything because I'm a miserable person. Um, and speaking of nitpicks, the soundtrack, kind of underwhelming. But then there was the Spider-Man Miles Morales follow-up game, and that game's soundtrack is quite banging. A lot of the fixes in terms of the city feeling too overwhelming were uh, cleaned up. It's a much more compact gaming experience, which I enjoyed. Probably not worth, you know, the same price as the base game because you get a lot less game. But the Morales story is better told. The downside is that the villains in Miles Morales are just nobodies in the Spider-Verse. I haven't heard of most of the ones who show up. And I, I mean, I'm not the hugest fan, but they don't seem like the most top of mind villains. In fact, the lead villain is one they made up for the game. The story is better told, I think, in certain moments, but the overall narrative makes more sense in the original Spider-Man. Yeah, one other way Miles Morales differentiates itself is the combat, because it adds these Venom moves, which are just supercharged electric moves, and that stuff is game-breaking. If you learn how to use the Venom moves, then the fights go from being pretty easy in the original Spider-Man to laughable in the Miles Morales version. But they've got some they've got some fun ways to make you have to abuse it in certain situations. The game ultimately is pretty good still, and both of them are well recommended. I would give Spider-Man Insomniac original a 8.1 out of 10, and Miles Morales a 7.8 out of 10. Both very very serviceable games. And on we go. Let's move on to something that doesn't have as much plot or direction and is more of just a fun little thing to do for five to ten minutes at a time. Vampire Survivors. There is lore to this game if you want to look into it, but real realistically the way that this game is supposed to be played is you pop on and you just play as many little sessions of the game as you want to. You're in a top-down isometric view, it's very pixely, classic graphics, and you use your character trying to survive so that you can get more gems, so that you can power up your character, so that you can survive better as the hordes get bigger and bigger coming in from all sides until you die, and then you play again. It's uh, basically a giant one-room roguelike, and it plays very fun. The downside being, of course, that it's 
once you've played each style, once you've unlocked all the different weapons you can try out, there's not much more to do. You can play, the session see always a good time killer, but it can wear itself out pretty quick. Just like the game sessions, I'm gonna keep this review brief. That's about all there is to say about this. It's uh, got some neat horror motifs, you know, so if that's, the, if that's a vibe you like. Just a very gothic action game that keeps your attention for, like I said, about 10 minutes at once. I'd still say it's well worth it. I mean, especially considering the game's only five bucks. So absolutely for $5, go ahead and give it a shot. I would ultimately give this game a 7.5 out of 10, just because the fun wears off eventually. But for that first like week that you have the game, probably a solid nine. All right, and onwards we go. I considered if I wanted to do this one on the list because it's not an officially licensed game, but Pokemon Unbound is a ROM modification, so you'd apply a patch to your copy of Pokemon Fire Red very legally and above borderly, I'm sure, sure that's how you're gonna do it by getting all the right legal tools. And then uh, it, it turns it into a whole new game that wouldn't fit on a regular Game Boy Advance, but again, I'm sure you were above board about everything. Anyway, this game takes the whole third generation Pokemon vibe, the art style, the sound, the general look and feel of things, and applies a modern day Pokemon convenience and quality of life features capacity to it and it's honestly kind of a masterpiece lots of little uh side quests to do a pretty well-written plot fun characters who generally stand out and uh enough pokemon to shake a stick at that's for sure you can probably catch probably 400 or some or some so on the just the base land and then you can get most of the rest of the the 800 plus catalog once you get to end game and there's plenty of end game content too I haven't finished all of it yet, and I probably never will, because quite frankly, it's just too damn big of a world. But I have nothing but good things to say for the most part. If I have to draw some negatives about Pokemon Unbound, it's probably that originally it tries to get a bit edgy, like teenage angst edgy, which normally Pokemon doesn't bother doing. Normally it tends to stay pretty carefree, child, power fantasy, silly times. Um, and, I mean, it doesn't play right in the scenery just because Pokemon is already such a cartoony game. But, on the whole, that's not a big complaint. I would recommend that as long as you enjoy the Pokemon gaming experience, you go ahead and treat yourself to trying out Pokemon Unbound. 8.9 out of 10. And let's move on again, shall we? To the 2021 Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy. This game was a surprisingly delightful experience for me. So, I've mentioned before that I like the Telltale franchise. I don't necessarily always need the gameplay to be totally in your face. I like sometimes just a fun narrative that I feel like I have some say in. And this game basically did that. A lot less of the general amount of impact options, but the thing that it did over a Telltale game was turn the actual game of it all up to 11, and which still means it's not much game compared to some games, but it's the perfect amount for if you just want to have some nice exploratory skyboxes coupled with big plot-heavy moments, and just a pretty well-told version of the Guardian story. So if you already like the Guardians of the Galaxy, which a lot of people do in the wake of the Marvel zeitgeist, then it's just worthwhile to give this game a little stop by and uh, try it out. The combat is pretty basic, but you know, it's that easy that it can be played by your average Joe who doesn't have all those gamer reflexes. That's a nice plus in my mind for what the game's going for, which is not difficulty, but storytelling. 
Now they really do pull in a lot of characters from the Guardians of the Galaxy lore, and uh, that's not a bad thing, but the game gets a bit distracted, I'd say, towards the end, and fizzles more than it really pops as the big finale, but generally it's still a very fun ride through a pretty straightforward gameplay and a lot of fun little moments. This game stood out just because I like that Telltale style, but I don't think that it's going to be a record breaker by any stretch of the imagination. I think that I'd end up giving this one a 6.8 out of 10. All right, let's soldier on. We're making great time, folks. This one's going to be a short one. <sighs> so, as I said, I do like that Telltale game style which is why I am so disappointed to talk about New Tales from the Borderlands. When Telltale was originally a company, Tales from the Borderlands was probably not just one of their best contributions in general, and I'd say the second best one after Wolf Among Us, but the best Borderlands storytelling, even trumping Borderlands 2 in terms of good narrative and fun design. Which is why it's such a real shame that New Tales from the Borderlands was written by, it seems like, the Borderlands 3 writers and that's not high praise. This leads to the game being a collection of bad jokes and undeserved character moments and over-the-top memeiness, which doesn't play well in, in the space a lot of times. The big pluses to New Tales from the Borderlands are it's very woke. They really try to include every kind of culture and gender orientation and sexual orientation and good representation, well, good, silly good representations of mental health issues. Um, but it's honestly pushed, a, like, it's pushed in a way that makes it feel performative. The whole game feels very much like Democrat agenda kind of mentality as opposed to, you know, actual good leftism. Very like, oh, look, we everyone's oppressed equally in this world, which we talk, joke about a lot on the show. That's kind of how it is in the Borderlands world. And these characters often end up feeling not very fleshed out anyways, which is disappointing. It's just an underwhelming game on all fronts. And while they tried to capture that telltale magic, they really just ended up writing some bad Borderlands fanfiction, in my opinion. I don't really know if I can recommend this one. I gotta say 4.6 out of 10. Only play it if you really like that Borderlands meme humor from the more recent titles. Which I guess leads us into our next game. Borderlands 3 is very poorly written, like I mentioned. But on the upside, this writing is not the focal point of that game. The focal point of that game is, is it fun to run around and shoot things and get better things to shoot things with? To let you shoot new things in new and fun explosive ways? And the answer is yes. It's got a lot of quality of life improvements over the previous Borderlands entries that allow for some really fun exploration of the maps they've, maps they've created and some generally good fast-paced combat shooty action. I would say that this is disappointing if you're looking for anything remotely entertaining from a plot perspective, but if you just want to blow some stuff up and level up and then blow some stuff up better, then this is a good time to do it with. And the characters are fun and dynamic in their own unique ways and how they play, even if, again, not in how they are voiced and just generally fleshed out. As I mentioned, the big draw of this game is the quality of life improvements over the previous Borderlands entries, but I'd still say Borderlands 2 is more worth your time if you want to 
actually combine a halfway decent narrative and care about the characters along the way as well. This game is still fun, and if you, are, like me, are just obsessed with that constant stream of dopamine hits, then this is still very worth your time. I'm going to give this game a 6.4 out of 10 for just the fun of the actual game and none of the other features. And onwards we go! To one more entry from the Gearbox crew, Tiny Tina's Wonderlands. Now this game is more of the exact same stuff I was just talking about, but now it's D&D related. And that, for me, is worth a lot of bonus points, actually. I had more fun with this one than I did with Borderlands 3, solely because it's jam-packed with just little fantasy nerd game references that are dumb and meme -y and stupid and over-the-top. But because it's something I'm so very much more passionate about than post-apocalyptica, it worked out. And it doesn't hurt that Will Arnett plays a very fun villain in this one. Not as good as Handsome Jack, but probably the best offering that the Gearbox games have had other than that. I would recommend this one to anyone who wants that same dopamine bullshit that I was just talking about, but with D&D stuff and fantasy. So, if you like that stuff like I do, go ahead and check this one out. Um, not much else to say about it, because it's literally the same game as Borderlands 3. The key is not to buy the season pass, because the DLC in this game is, quite frankly, calling it a ripoff would be generous. It is the sh most shameless cash grab in the history of DLC, and anyone who goes near it, well, you've made a terrible mistake, because they'll charge you $30 for that stuff, and it's not worth three. All right, um, that's gonna lower my score on the whole, so I think I'm gonna have to give this one a 7.2 out of 10. Let's keep moving, folks. All right, we're on the other side of that slump of bad writing and storytelling. So we're onwards to Horizon Zero Dawn, which is a much better told story with a pretty compelling main character, but an even more compelling game world. Uh, as far as post-apocalypticas go, this one's one of the better ones for sure. But I think the reason people are mostly drawn into this one is that it looks fun to fight giant robot dinosaurs. And spoiler, it is at first. And then eventually you, you get enough levels up and character advancements and uh, the combat system kind of becomes samey and boring and a little redundant. And that will happen because this game is like a hundred plus hours long if you explore everything. It's got that old Donkey Kong 64 syndrome of just, hey, we have this big open game world. Let's just put shit everywhere in it. It's like, yeah, that's great. But when it's only so many different varieties of shit to do, it starts feeling samey after a while, and it'll do that. I got to a point where I just started rushing through the main plot because I couldn't be bothered with all of the different side stuff, and uh, that worked out pretty well. It's a compelling plot, good narrative, and it's still a very beautiful world to explore, although sadly along the main plot you're going to find more stealth sections killing the humans instead of the robot dinosaurs, and those are not well done, and I usually just end up failing the stealth and murdering everybody because it's faster. The game is still very good. It is very well told. Just know that if you sign up for it, you're signing up for an endeavor. Now, if that amount of game for dollar sounds good to you, then perfect. Consider picking this one up. It's well worth it. I'd give it a 8.0 out of 10. All right, let's keep moving, folks. 
Both of these next games are by indie developer Sabotage, and uh, I was pleasantly surprised by both of their offerings, starting with The Messenger, which is a action-based platformer with Metroidvania influences and a lot more storytelling than your standard action-based platformer is going to end up happening. But that's because this game wanted to really do some world building. I assume it's because they intend to set all of their games in the same game world. They certainly set the next one in the same world, although that's a whole can of worms. But for now, we're focusing on this game. It is very challenging, but fortunately, the respawn checkpoint system is pretty forgiving, so, you know, much not quite Super Meat Boy levels, but much like the same kind of vibes of frustration when you screw up, you know, 20 times, thankfully you're only set back, you know, a minute. It uh, makes for a pretty fun playthrough. The There's some fun dynamic uh, side characters. Your character is kind of nobody, but that's kind of the point. And there's some fun pixely graphics that are simple and do the job just fine. But that's not where the game shines. The gameplay really is its high, high point. The, the nature in which you do double jumps in this game is very unique and creates a very fun way to traverse levels. Every time you hit something with your sword, you gain another jump. So as long as you can keep comboing off of stuff, you can kind of stay in the air, which is necessary for certain sections. You eventually get a grappling hook, which makes for even more fast-paced dynamic flipping around the screen, and really does make you feel kind of like a little ninja guy, which is what you are. There's also little side rooms to explore in every single level. Even though it's uh, level-based, it's still got those uh, exploratory components to it, so that's nice. I would say the challenge is probably one of the biggest barriers, because if you're not hand-eye coordinated, you're just not going to get through this one. And it does like to pat itself on the back for being like, oh, you know this trope? Ho-ho, oh, we're, we're acknowledging this trope. Which is kind of borderlandsy writing. But, you know, better done a little bit on the whole, especially considering it's a much smaller and com more compact game, which helps. I'd say that The Messenger, for its gameplay, still ends up with a 7.7 .7 out of 10. And that's going to lead us into the follow-up game, Sea of Stars, which is kind of, sort of, set in the same game world. It's complicated. Again, don't worry about it. And this game, you'd think I would love it. I mean, it is heavily inspired by Chrono Trigger. They made no secret about that. That was part of their mission statement from the beginning of the Kickstarter. And they sure stood to that. It is very heavily inspired by Chrono Trigger, to the point where there were beat-for-beat -beat plot moments that were taken from Chrono Trigger, there were direct references to the Chrono Trigger script, to the point where you have to ask, where's the line between homage and straight-up aping another game's style? That being said, if you're gonna ape a game, aping my absolute favorite game of all time, pretty good choice. This is still a very well-done RPG. Your tertiary character, who's not the main character, is by far the most interesting character because he's just relentlessly positive in a way that gets annoying sometimes, but that just makes him all the more well-written. And there are a fun cast of other characters, although sometimes they feel like they're trying a little too hard to be fun and their gimmick becomes a little bit one trick. Now this game does shine in the combat system, which is improved upon in certain ways and really makes for a unique way of uh, blocking enemies from doing their attacks and makes you concentrate on every battle. But as long as you're concentrating, the battles are actually quite easy and straightforward. In addition, the soundtrack is absolutely amazing, very well produced and just fits the motifs of the game excellently. All in all, this game is still a very fun game. I would call it the best 30 hours that I ever complained the whole way through. 8.4 out of 10. And that brings us to the last game I'm going to be talking about today. Now, earlier in this episode, I told you a lie, which was that these games are in no particular order. 
because I most certainly did in fact save the best for last. To the extent that if I were to do my top 10 now, I would have to boot something, because CrossCode is a masterpiece. This action RPG wowed me in just about every way. The gameplay is stellar. The combat and exploration are something I could never get sick of. I've been putting hours into this game and I keep coming back to it on new game pluses and general just different ways I want to screw around with it. The storytelling is unique. I've seen a couple stories similar to it, I guess, but I mean, every story's been told at least once. Still very well done. The characters are colorful and dynamic and you really feel like they're fleshed out on their own rights, even if you don't see much of them, which is hard to do sometimes. All around, I, the only thing I could even complain about this game is the soundtrack gets a little bit redundant, but it's not a bad soundtrack, it's just, you know, the loops are a little short for how big the zones are sometimes. And that's with how small of a team they were working with, you know, you're gonna have to cut some corners. But on the whole, I could not sing this praise as games more highly. The puzzle solving is stellar. You really will have to use every ounce of that little noodle sometimes to get through these dungeon crawls that have very Legend of Zelda vibes. And the whole game, you're left wondering exactly what's going on, right up until it becomes obvious that all the clues were there, Mr. Policeman. And I mean, some people will probably figure it out faster than me, because I'm sometimes dumb and turn my brain off when I play a video game. But all in all, everything about this game screams effort put into every single corner, and I could not say more good things about this game. I'm going to give this a 9.4 out of 10. And that brings us to the end of this little games review session. Like I said, it would be a short one, and I stuck to that. And to really cap off just how short it's going to be, there's no news blast this time. There's a lot of big stories that are kind of in the midst of still working themselves through, and Kyle and I kind of want to cover that stuff together, so... We're just going to hold off, and uh, hopefully the news still stays relevant until we need to talk about it. But for now, just keep supporting, absolutely support the Auto Workers Union if they're still on strike, and also the SAG-AFRA Writers Guild strike. Both strikes, absolutely 100% support, mad props, and keep up the good work on the class consciousness, and we'll get with you next time, folks. Thank you all for continuing to listen, and we'll be back to a regularly scheduled episode next month. In the meantime, as always, love and solidarity.